0: May 25, 2020 is a lot for Pedro Show. Pedro Show. Happy Monday. Still quitting quarantino mode. with so Brother Matt's at the Love Grotto. Pleasure point a couple miles south of here. But I'm not completely man alone because of those incredible software engineers in Estonia with their Skype stuff. was Loken. Out of Boston. Welcome aboard. Thanks. Great to be here. Yeah, I mean, I've gotten to talk to you a few times about music and it's just righteous and I wanted to yeah, share your journey. Sure. With the uh, listeners, yeah. We started the show off with uh, John Coltrane doing an alternate take about Wait and Pray, and then uh, Devar Kasha. It's so uh, difficult to play, right? Yep. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's great, though. I really dig it. he? What, what, your earliest musical recollection.
1: Okay, I was thinking, about, I actually have three. I'll give you three, because okay. they're all pretty formative in terms of how I got into music. Sure. Um, the first one, my father, he graduated high school in 1961, okay. and he had a big uh, crate of 45s in the basement that my sister and I used to go through. These were all, you know, singles he bought when he was uh, in high school and college. Right. And, uh, you know, it was all like these top hits. My sister and I were into, like, the novelty kit stuff, because we were kids. You're, like Splish Splash by Bobby Darin. Sure. And... Uh, <laughs> you're a nag that song you know <laughs> it's some of the beatles songs as well like i feel fine and uh, eight days a week anyway so we had those songs we used to get into them and uh there was a radio station near our house uh, an am station and they had the big towers in a field and we used to go as kids we used to go out there and play in the field i even, actually the station was eventually sold to cousin brucey you remember him
0: oh wow yeah <laughs>
1: Yeah, and uh, he caught me. I was probably like 9, 10 years old. He caught me running around in the field. He came and me, like, told me off. He was very nice about it. It was funny. But anyways, uh, one day I got the nerve up to go into the radio station, and I hung out. The DJ let me in, and yeah. I sat in the booth and uh, span records, spun records with him. He let me make a request, and I picked eight days a week by the Beatles. It was gotcha. great. And how old were you? Awesome. So that was my first one. Second how, one is... How old uh, were
0: you when you went in that radio station? Probably nine or ten. Okay, okay, like no, third grade. No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Third, fourth grade. Okay. And then uh, that was, was very the cool. What was? Summer- the, who was the DJ?
1: I don't remember. Oh. Don't remember anything. Because that was very cool of them to let that happen. Yeah, it was so cool, and I never did it again. I only did it once. <laughs> okay. And uh, there's probably I don't even there's probably a secretary there. I don't remember. It was uh it was like a little local station. It's gone now. There's a housing development there. But, okay. uh, whatever.
2: Things change.
1: <laughs> That's right. Okay, what's the other? T- you said you had two others, right? Two more, right. The second one was, uh, summer, after sixth grade, my parents sent me to summer camp, and there was a kid there yeah. who was this insane Beatles fan. He had those, uh, he had, like, the Red and the and the Blue albums. Oh, yeah, yeah. Six, and he played it constantly, and that just completely opened my mind. So, I like, just became a huge Beatles fan. But um, yeah, I was into like some of the top 40 at that point, like pop music by M and Cars by Gary Newman and whoever sang Funky Town, that kind of stuff. <laughs> but this just turned me on to music, and the Beatles were a, a gateway to, you know, the Rolling Stones and the Kinks and the Who and all these bands. And um, I also decided that I wanted to play guitar, uh, but I didn't tell anybody. <laughs> And so my, my bar mitzvah was coming up, my thirteenth birthday. Yeah. and I just assumed somebody was gonna read my mind and buy me a guitar, and it never happened. <laughs> <No>. But uh <laughs> but I was totally obsessed with, with the Beatles and music and play and playing guitar. And so that summer I didn't go to summer camp. It was whatever. The economy had gotten pretty horrible. This is nineteen eighty one. Yeah. And um and uh so whatever, I mowed lawns and I um was working in a factory where my dad was working, and um making a dollar an hour (laughs) yeah, (laughs) and it took me the whole summer but at the end of the summer I got enough money to buy uh went to Sam Ash Music and Paramus and got myself a PBT-60 and a decade amp and it was that was the rest is history it was amazing now now,
0: in that summer camp that guy with the Beatle records do you remember his name John Kleinstein okay John thank you Uh, I haven't spoken to him since then but but the guitar kind of was it the same thing that
1: summer? That's when you got the Hankerin. It was. It was probably afterwards when I got home oh, okay. and I, yeah, you know, I would mow lawns and do little jobs and thus uh, and buy, spend all my money on records. Sure, sure, so sure, That's really when I, looking at the pictures and studying the artwork. That's really, I think, what got me into it. What, what was the first record you bought for yourself? I bought for myself uh, either when I was young. I got Macho Man by the Village People, like yeah. the twelve <laughs> all right i was was just curious so and and
0: you said there was a third recollection
1: yeah so the third story is actually the biggest one because now it was eighth grade yeah i was playing guitar at this point you know and i was reading my, my teacher turned me on to guitar player magazine so i was reading that and learning about new things and um right before my birthday this is february of 82
2: yeah
1: um miles davis played the grammys now i had i had never heard miles davis before and um I had heard his name, I guess, and uh, so I was watching the Grammys with my parents, and my, this was, I didn't know this at the time, but this was Miles' band with both John Schofield and Mike Stern in the band, oh, he had Marcus yeah. Miller on bass, I think it was Al Foster on drums, Bill Evans on soprano, and um, probably Mino Simo, I think, on a percussion. It was incredible, you know? And I mean, I didn't think it was incredible at the time. At the time, I was disturbed. Um, it just <laughs> kind of rubbed me It rubbed me weird, but what blew me away was after he finished playing, you can see this online. There's a shot of the audience after he finished playing and they didn't know what to do. I believe it's a close up of Donna Summer. (laughs) And they're just like they were they were they they, you know they knew they had to applaud because it was Miles Davis and it's the Grammys and you have to be nice, but they did not know what to make of it. And that I didn't I was didn't really love it, but I was intrigued. I knew there was something there, and so Throughout high school, for like the next five, six years, um, while I was getting into guitar and getting into the shredders and louder, faster, louder, faster, (laughs) there was always this parallel from Miles of using, I realized you could use music to to move people, to disturb people, to to challenge people. And uh, so I had this parallel interest getting into, uh, my entrance actually to Miles is all his 80s stuff, like We Want Miles and uh, Decoy and albums like that. And then I went backwards and checked out the older stuff. And um, but you know, having and then Jaco Jocko Jaco solo album and having cha- getting into more challenging music was a very transformative thing. That when I got to college, really, you know, blossomed. So, it was seeing miles on the hammies.
2: Wow. Yeah,
0: yeah. See, things can happen like that. Uh, that's really key. That's really important. You know, I think by that time. Miles was having a beef with his publisher or something. He, he's letting the bass players write all the music, right? You're talking to I think, I think Yeah, wrote a lot of the songs too. Okay, okay. Because uh, after Marcus, I think is Reggie Lewis or uh,
1: no, D- uh, Daryl Jones.
0: Daryl Jones, that's it. <laughs> all great bass players. <laughs> I don't mean amazing, but, <laughs> just a, but I think he ended up writing some like the Tutu and.
1: Yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah, that's Marcus Miller again. Yeah, Marcus Miller came back for for those later albums. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah.
0: Me and Pat Bone saw him at Hollywood Bowl, and uh, he was doing stuff like Time After Time, uh, Cyndi Lauper, Mike Jackson, Human Nature. He's like doing covers. Yeah. And plus he's... Uh, the way he ran the stage, too. I don't know if it was like this, what you saw on TV, but there'd be a keyboard there that no one was playing. And he'd come up to this thing, you know, and the, the band's in some kind of motif in a jam, right? And he'd come over, and he'd hit a chord. <laughs> and the whole band <laughs> would just gravitate to that chord. Yeah, would, totally.
1: And it was like some Oh, did he do that when you saw it really, too? What was that? Yeah, it was some synth of this really trebly sound. It was like... Okay. I oh, oh, saw brazen. the same thing. It
0: was, I, I just never seen a... To me, it was a, a band was like, you know, because I didn't know about that stuff. I'm like you. I didn't know anything about bebop. There wasn't a lot of it coming over the ham radio. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but but this idea that you practice, you uh, got everything together, and then, you, you know, you put it on like a play or something. And this idea of stuff in the moment, like the guy changes the whole tune by hitting <laughs> this chord, you know. That was totally new to me, that you could be free and improvise like that. So... I kind of share I mean you didn't want me to play bass so much but it, it, and I and I actually found out this stuff with the punk movement because I wasn't even at least you you got into it in high school. Yeah. You want my play here is uh this band this might have been one of your first
1: bands, right? Mellow Edwards? Mellow was a band of mine in college and then, and then uh, in the early 90s when I was living in New York. Yeah. Okay.
0: And yeah, how
1: this band come together? This band, so I was at the Newland Conservatory yeah. from, um, in the late 80s. I graduated in 90. And um, so we were all just students there. The, uh, the tr- the tr- it's actually the trombonist band. He had a different lineup. I don't know what happened to the original lineup, but um, it was myself and the drummer's a guy named Eric Kerr. K-E-R-R And uh, the tr- the trombonist is Curtis Hasselbring Curtis still has a version of the band Mellow Edwards today It's called the New Mellow Edwards They're based in New York I think he's in Brooklyn or Queens And um, and he's big he's, he's still playing all the time That's great yeah. Do you know where he got the band name? No, not at all <laughs>
0: Okay, let's listen to Steve's tune
3: And crumpets, uh, Trumpets and trumpets. In ears, on heads, on high. Roasts and fry. Prigly, I bob like one bam, break the twin. My lord, I can hardly see a Oh, toots from Tanguia. Like it was coming from a moose mouth in some bar. Popcorn was falling all around and here and there and everywhere. Some clod threw up.
2: Tie-dye.
3: She looked like a coated parakeet, a panamint-billed parakeet. very, very, very. Very, very. Gallery. Art gallery name. Namesake. Fun Mini. Art gallery name Fun Begun. <clears throat> Only child drinking. wearing a D today, but I'm gonna be wearing an E tomorrow, cause I'm spreading out. Spider in my heart.
2: Hits me right on the
4: side of the head. Really just Seeing red, Uh, they don't know who they're messing with. Uh, One excuse, how do you do? Take some time up with the crime. Uh, Lots of ways to make them pay. They just leave me alone. Can't they see I'm in the zone? Sure, this time it was just the tone. Like to drop them like a stone. They don't know who they're messing with. One excuse, I'll do the do. Take some time, avoid the crime. It's a waste to make them pay. I'll do the do, take some time, avoid the crime, lots of ways to make them pay.
0: For Pedro show, yeah, the Melo Edwards with Steve's too, and then Kariki, uh, which is a new band. you uh, e. kai has got there in DC with Amy Joe Lolly. Too Many Husbands, uh, Ellen Fullman and Teresa Wong with Harbors Part Three. That's brand new. Above the Tree from Italy, Farm of Life, brand new. Captain Beefheart with a poem, The Sand Failure, not brand new, <laughs> but <laughs> I love it anyway. Case Alita, the people the people, Bilge Pump out of Leeds, England with the Streets Are Full. And finally, Man on the Moon from Mellow Edwards.
1: So see, how long do you play with these kids? So I was with them for probably about four years. Uh, we finished up college and then uh, we played around New York. It was actually my last gig in the city before I took off and went in a very different direction was with them. at there, CBGB's had an art gallery next door called CB's Gallery. I played there once. Yep. So that was we played there as well. Okay, That's great. okay. Man okay. in the Moon, actually, is a cover. That's um, a Don Cherry song. I was going to say. Yeah. Is, say. And there's a killer version by George Russell uh, that you can check out as well. And we got to, at the conservatory, we got to hang George Russell was a teacher there. We got to hang out with him. Unbelievable.
0: Well, 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 well did you get to see some of these? Bo- you know, Pettibone started bringing me the gigs. I could see Sam Rivers and Mr. Ray Brown and see some McBee. Elvin Jones I must have saw 13, 14 times because he'd come over from...
1: Nagasaki. Did you did you get to check out beboppers? Yeah, t- uh, not so much beboppers. I mean, Dave Holland was at the conservatory. Oh, He was oh, There's a there. bass man. He
0: played yeah. with uh, um, Miles on the kind of uh, what bitches brew. You know, there's a great bass player that wasn't from that scene at all. I think Miles found him at the Apollo. Um, Who, uh, Harvey Brooks? No, no, uh, Henderson. Oh Michael, no, uh, Mark Henderson.
1: What's name? Um, Mike. Um, Henderson? the guy throughout the seventies. He stole him from Stevie Wonder's band. Right, and he ended up a
0: singer in Europe, like a disco singer. Is it Michael Henderson or? Yes,
1: Michael Henderson. That's sounds- And his
0: his lines were so econo, you know, because he was coming from R and B, and was yeah, just right. you know Miles knew how to put together bands. I, I wasn't talking uh, so much about it at school, but like like the whole idea of a, uh, the clubs, seeing gigs at clubs like that, because it was the ones I saw. The very few numbers. You're sitting there. I mean. Billy Higgins could be watching
1: you the whole game. It'd be like, it's your I mean, There were there were two shows that I saw, and there were a few shows I saw in Boston, but two that I saw that were really transformative. One was um, a trio: James Blood Almer with Jamal Isaacuma oh, yeah. and um, Grant Calvin Weston. Calvin Weston
0: on the drums, unbelievable, you unbelievable. That was I, I've to
1: other people in interviews. Dave Fusinski is one of them, um, who were also at those shows who were just blown away by them. Like really changed your perspective, changed the way you approach music afterwards. Really incredible.
0: I think Jamal Adin's a little later, right? Because he had a, Amin Ali, he had Rashid's son. Now this so that, is how, yeah, yeah, that they, I don't know what the this is. This is how I know it. about this. Minutemen actually got to play three gigs with Calvin, Amin, and James Bud Almer. And they wow, used our no, equipment. No, no. They didn't even change anything. They just got on the stuff and played. <laughs> they were yeah. amazing. Amazing. your gear? Yeah. We t- you know, they came over. They just flew over. So they used to. I think they had, a, I mean, had his bass and uh, James Blood. But I remember Calvin. And Calvin was still a teenager. Maybe 19, 18. And he just jumped on Georgie's drums and.
1: Like they were his, and didn't adjust yeah. anything. It was incredible. Was so good. Well, well, when was I saw them, they both had Steinbergers, both um, uh, James Blood and Jamal Adin. So it was that, I think that's all they traveled with.
0: I saw Jamal Adin with a Steinberger with uh, Ornette's pri- uh, prime, prime Time, dream. where he had two of everything. Yeah. Jamal <laughs> Adin breaks a string in the first st- He never changed. He played the whole gig with three strings. Really? <laughs> yeah, amazing. Amazing. Yeah, it's hard to tell people, you know, if the, if If the bug hasn't bit you, you know how these things, like you call it, transformative. Do you remember the first gig you did with uh,
1: Mellow Fellows? Mellow Edwards. Mellow Edwards? No. We played in Boston, I remember. In Boston, I played a lot. I was in a a, a punk band called Fat Elvis. We used to play around. Tell tell me about the first Fat Elvis gig. The first Fat Elvis gig. (laughs) It was probably like at the rat at one in the morning. It was like three people (laughs) <laughs> we
0: call those character builders
1: <laughs> yeah exactly but we 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 got to play a few a few good shows though we played on um, there's a club have you ever played the middle east in boston oh yeah of course and next right. door tt the bears actually yeah. cambridge right that's cambridge yeah we played tt's also so that band and then um i was i was in another band um no, called you, Sweet could, could, Tatt, who, um tell me about that rat gig it was three people was it scary Flying at the Ratt for three people, I think, was more annoying well, because, than anything. <laughs> just like, I waited until I
0: could just sit there the whole night. Yeah, wait until it's your turn to, like, yes, yeah, sweep exactly. up. Yeah, <laughs> Right, right. But I'm just wondering, as a person, as, as a guy getting into music, what was like getting to play a
1: gig, you know, at a club? Oh, amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. just to, to stand on the stage and to, to have the monitors and to fight with the sound guy it was amazing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but were you still playing the same guitar and amp?
1: No. Yeah, I had the same guitar and amp from wow. high school until I was about 22 or 23. I had a, a BC Rich, and yeah. I had a, a, a PV Heritage 2x12. And I had that until I fried out all the output circuitry on it. <laughs> <All right. laughs> what
0: about boxes? Did you get into those? Uh,
1: it... A little bit later. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, i, I tried to tell I people little... about the older days. There wasn't a lot of box use. No, I had a, I had a rat, mm-hmm. and I had... Yeah. um. And I had um, a RotoVive and a Walla pedal. But you know, the thing that I had, my BC Rich had an onboard preamp. And so I used to click that in, and I would get, the Overdrive would go into some other planet. And I could, you know, just. <laughs> yeah. It was probably like having two stomp boxes on the floor. Right. That's a yeah. PV got beat up for a <laughs> I remember those amps.
0: Uh, yeah. It was a
1: great amp. It was really great. You know, I had last week the nickname kind
0: of Do you remember the nickname? They called them Mississippi Marshals.
1: Oh, did they really? <laughs> My nickname in college was Ill because I was always acting so ill. And so I, I took off the PV logo and uh, spray paint Ill Ski on it. It was great. <laughs> right.
0: So I finally got beat up, right? You had to get another one. Would you move yeah, on? Yeah, I
1: ended up getting, I took a loan. I was living in New York at this point. So I took out a loan and I got a, um, I got a, Mar- a Mesa Boogie a 112 combo Boogie. And, um, and a Tally that I still use to this day.
0: And they got, like, I think two stages of preamp. So you got into that. You know who, who, uh, Carlos Santana, right? That big sustain sound.
1: Yeah, he's from the boogies. I think he was very involved with them.
0: Yeah, right. Pet- Petaluma is the town they're made in. It's like Oh, really? Okay. I think,
1: <laughs> this is a weird tangent, but
0: that's where most of the chickens are grown in California. In Petaluma. <laughs> <laughs> believe it or not, the chicken capital that's of Cali. Okay. And, uh. Also, another trippy story. A guy told me about this cat who's lost his son on a, you know, Vincent's, really fast motorcycles? Uh Uh-huh. He tried to buy them all up and bury them and destroy them so no one else could get killed on them. And it was in Petaluma.
5: (laughs) That's was also Petaluma. I
0: know. That's a weird kind of tie-in. But uh, I remember them being pretty heavy. Ed from Ohio had one in Firehose. Uh Uh-huh. And, yeah, and... But they had good
1: sound. Those one twelves. Yeah, it was a great amp. You know, I, I think I, I just I'm whatever. But I, I would I would prefer. So it has too many buttons. I find it a little overwhelming. <laughs> right. That did have a lot of knobs,
0: <laughs> a lot of knobs.
1: And and also in New York, getting your amp around. Oh, it was headache. Yeah, you know, you know where I bought that. This I bought it right when when Mesa Boogie stopped doing mail order. They started going to stores. Yeah. I got it at Manny's on Forty Eighth Street. Right. Have you been there lately? You know that's it's all perfect. gone. It's all, it's all gone. gone. Very depressing.
0: It blew, blew my mind. I could not believe it. That was a whole scene. I remember, yeah. you know, we'd go on tour and, you know, of course, go to the big town and turn around and come back. But stop it, Manny's.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> all that good stuff all there. And Sam Ash was across the street. And they had this one trippy place called We Buy Guitars. Yes. And I remember seeing Paul Stanley through the window. And I pointed at him, as, you know, and he couldn't, you know, mime and no sound. But with my mouth, I said, is that you? And he puts his thumb towards him, and he goes, yeah, it's me. I could see his lips saying, yeah, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we're at the end of the first hour, May 25, 2020. This is the so Show special Yes, So you can hold time for hour two. May 25, 2020. It's second hour of the Show.
2: I'm going to take this
0: For show, you start off the second hour with uh, Mellow Edwards doing Iron Man. Then Helen Money, she was on the last show, Midnight. A few uh, CQ Tokyo Auto Zap from Darcy Electronics. Uh, Super session with Oahu, There's early mixes coming from there. album, Raymond, Ricky, Ray Farrell, and Raul. The jerk's on some of them. Uh, Kim, brand new out of Canada. Couples quarrel, and finally Airwolf, Mellow Edwards. So, after the Mellow Edwards, yeah, you, uh,
1: you said you had big change. Yeah, I had a few things going on at, at the same time. I was Mellow Edwards. I also had uh, this band called Punjab Frontier Force, which was doing uh, oh, we're a gonna lot play, of...
0: Yeah, we're going to play that next. Okay.
1: Yeah, so that, that actually was really cool. I was inspired a lot by what John Zorn was doing at the time, mashing up um, just lots of different things, throwing them all together. No, no, um, did, did you join them or did you put that band together? That band was I put it together. That was um that was it was I mean the bass player ended up becoming my roommate, but um uh, it was just friends of mine from really from school that we put it together. In Boston? In Boston, okay. yeah. And we played that it actually got a lot of airplay. It got uh the I don't the guy I don't remember the guy's real name. He was called Mr. Beautiful. He had engineered the sessions.
2: Mm-hmm. And so Ooh.
1: um he uh he was able to get us on to BCN's, WBCN's local show. So we got a lot of airplay from that. And we headlined the rat, actually. It was a pretty cool go. Was
0: the guy at the hatch with the throat what was his
1: name? Oh, I don't remember. <laughs> <The English guitar>. <laughs> <laughs> I was so thrilled they gave us dinner. You know, we were like big stars. Oh, wow.
0: Oh wow. You know I remember the most was the lights they had for the stage were like for a theater. They're giant can light cannons and they'd be like four feet off your head especially the drummers they get, Georgie I remember literally getting cooked
2: right the, very hot
0: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but then you know especially with how you time your tour it could get very cold in that town so sometimes yeah those lights kind of helped out yeah because being by the water there and it could it could get cold in for sure spoiled sure.
1: California right <laughs> so what I about- was in this other band as well Called okay. uh, Sweet Blues and Ill So that wasn't my band. I joined them. Yeah. But what was significant about them was they they left Boston a year before I did. They were all from Hoboken. Yeah. And uh and, and they ended up getting signed. They got signed in Water Brothers. And um I was out of the band at that point. By the time they got signed, I, I left so I could finish college.
2: Yeah. But
1: um I got to it was my first time in a real studio. I got to go, um, we recorded in uh, water, Muc- water music in Hoboken. Oh yeah. You know that place? Yeah, I yeah. I think all tango and a lot of those bands recorded there. Right, right. The engineer was a, a guy named John Sickett, who did a lot of the the '90s uh, Sonic Youth albums, you like Washing
0: Machine. Funny you mention them because the only guy no left in Hoboken that does music is Steve Shelley. Oh, really?
2: <laughs> sure. Yeah, that
0: town completely changed. You know, sort of like Forty Eighth Street, It just changed.
1: Yes. No more music. I don't. I'm not so in touch with Hoboken anymore. When I I moved to New York after college, and I was living I was living in Brooklyn, but um. Because of my, I wasn't in this band anymore, but I stayed friends with them. So the guitar player who replaced me gave me his teaching gig. So I was teaching in Union City, you know, all those little towns along the, along the Hudson in Jersey, yeah, looking that's over right. New York
0: yeah, on the West Side. So of the I was river.
1: teaching over there, and I would hang out. We'd play a lot of gigs at a place called Boo Boo's, which is right next to the pass station. Play okay. there all the time. And It was great, really, really great. But I got to know that scene. It was just it was such an amazing, tight, beautiful scene. It's sad. It's not, you're saying it's not around anymore but no there is a new jersey scene but it's in uh, jersey city by
0: the uh, the, the in fact this this station wmfu uh-huh they do gigs downstairs now oh do they really wow so it okay. ain't that far from hoboken but hoboken it gentrified it's you know when you price out artists
1: <laughs> you're going to lose a little art <laughs> yeah totally i was in park slope you can't live there anymore either park slope are... Our rehearsal studio was in Carroll Gardens. I was actually just back there about five years ago for a wedding. Yeah, and you know the basement we rehearsed in is like now this apartment I could, I don't think I could afford to look at. It.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I remember Todd, Todd Abramson, the guy who took over after Ira at uh, Maxwell's. He had in oh. Carroll Gardens. I think he had a club for a little while. And he ended up this the Bell thing by the canal. What's it called, uh-huh. Bell? Something like that, but Todd Abrams, great cat. Uh, uh, but things, yeah. When the, it happened here too in SoCal with I uh, I don't know Highland Park, and I mean you want people to be safe and stuff, but when they just price out artists, yeah, self defeat.
1: It's the artists who build the community. They're the ones who go in first and get everything started, and then yeah. can't afford to stay.
0: Yeah, and it seems that this paradigm repeats itself over and over. And it's just. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Uh, I want to play i like, want to uh, play some of this uh, did you name this band the
1: poon Frontier Frontier force yeah, my my one of my roommates was a guy named Tom Quinn from hullabaloo they were they were on toxic shock records I don't even mean, uh, yeah, you know yeah. it was a name he always wanted to use so I, I wanted to call it the <laughs> legal Women voters I thought that was funny <laughs> but they're like nah, use this <laughs> okay okay
0: here. here's a tune called charity <laughs>
5: We're connect, we're dying again, we action, the land, go,
0: All what goes on in your mind.
6: is of silence. You'll be the long, pothole-headed shadow sucking the corpuscle, my every word. You'll have unquestionable concerns above and beyond your own countenance roof.
0: confusion was His they thought I was of- Joey
1: McIntyre so one day I, uh, I it was always well, I was never home so one day I happened to be home when these girls called and I spoke to one of them. I just figured it was like one girl. She said it was in a magazine somewhere. So I changed my answering machine to, hey, girls, if you really want to hang tough, leave a message. And um, I started getting death threats. You know, like, we know where you live. We know where your mother lives. Yeah. Oh my God.
2: <laughs>
1: so I had to call the phone company and they told me that, uh, this is back in the days before cell phones, obviously. They told yeah, me that cool. um, they told me that uh, the McIntyres actually lived in the town that I lived in. This was Jamaica Plain in Boston. And they... Um, and uh, they had it. They had to get. They had. They had to, didn't have a phone number. Basically, you had to call the phone company to get through to them. And girls would call the phone company and say it was an emergency. Where family? Somebody died. It's crazy. Whoa. Yeah. Now, now, what becomes of the Poomjab Frontier Force? Poomjab Frontier Force never really did much, unfortunately. Uh, it's you know you listen to it. We could have been yeah. the same scene as like boredom, boredom, you know, boredom in the ruins and those types of ads. Sure. and um and, and whatever uh, what's the faith the more that guy's band, um mr bumble we could have been like that same scene but um i don't know i was this is part of my fresh my problem i was i just didn't i didn't know how to make things happen you know i wasn't diy enough to uh to go and take the bull by the horns but at the same time i um uh, you know i had like i had all these connections from all these bands and everything but i wasn't working my connections and I wasn't going out and taking the band on tour either. So it just things were kind of percolating. I was sitting there in Brooklyn and teaching lessons and nothing was really happening. And um, I eventually, when I was 20, my 25th birthday was the uh, attack on the World Trade Center in 93. Wow. Yeah. So I took that as a sign and I left and I uh, packed up and I went and backpacked around Europe for about six months playing guitar in the street, which was really amazing. I paid all my way just by playing guitar. And, wow. um, and then I ended up in Israel and I ended up staying there for about seven years. Whoa, so yeah. Buskin, that's Bus- torn,
0: that's really torn. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Talk about work in the room, work in the corner, uh, but, that, but it's balls out. and i got to say this about the Punjab Frontier 4, it, it's it got its own sound, it's pretty adventurous music.
2: Very much I so. I mean,
0: there's a sense of humor and stuff, but I mean, it's you guys are playing together, you're listening to each other, I, I like it.
1: It's, oh, thanks, yeah. It's it was everything about- great band. The drummer was a great player. Um, the saxophone player is a cat named um, Jim Rops, who um, has a band called Fully Celebrated Orchestra. He's still playing around now. Oh, and right, uh, right. Ed Broms, the bass player, is a great player as well. And he's, And um, I think he's up here in Boston, actually, playing organ and doing all sorts of stuff. Organ? Yeah, he plays organ in a church. I know that. I'm not sure okay. what else he does. Left hand. Yeah. yeah. he's a good basement on these recordings. Where where where, yeah. did, where, did, where where's the this, this stuff recorded? It was recorded in a studio in Boston, I don't remember the name of the place. Okay. Unfortunately. Uh, okay, it was different than the I Yeah, did... no, the other stuff, that when I was in Water Music yeah. in fucking that 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 band when they when they mixed their album, they did the mix in Electric Ladylands so I got to go hang out there as well. you yeah. know, just a guest, but it was unbelievable. To check that place out.
0: I got to record it... a Blue Oyster Cult song there once.
1: Yeah. you recorded that <laughs> yeah the red and the black I mean it's, it's incredible you see they have the they have the murals from Hendrix time on the wall oh, yeah oh yeah,
0: yeah 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 you know sometimes uh stuff happens to you like that it chokes you up and it's amazing but I mean that's the connect music can have and and, and personalities are bigger you know Jimmy jeez yeah yeah big time look we're at the end of uh second hour uh, may 25 2020. Watch Pedro Pedro's show, special guest, Sweet Glucan. Hold 10 for hour, free! May 25, 2020, third hour, Watch for Pedro's show. Yeah.
6: Really? Maybe you tried to save the world. Oh my, pollution killed the bees, poured plastic in the seas, killed the Amazon, the Great Barrier Reef. Eureka, you reaped just what you sow. Fintech said, Money does my sacred will, makes me rich gives me one big thrill. The economy, it never really
2: existed.
6: It's here because no humans resisted. Real estate's a scam just like stocks and bonds. They've always been just one big car. Something for nothing is the number one big lie gamble on promises till the time we die till the time A false romance. When the gas and electricity is all gone, will we realize we were driving toward our doom? When the billionaires retreat to yachts and farms, will all the villagers unite to bring them? Everything dies, everyone lies, maybe you tried to save the world, oh my, corporations killed trees, poured plastic in the seas, killed the Amazon, the Great Barrier Reef. you reap just what you sow.
5: They hormones so Don't Little girls, they want my dark. They sing my song and make them hot. They go to stay, they see their face Don't they know they to me. The honeys are not premature They'll know what that body some dark They don't they i
2: brought
0: Beaver show start third hour off with uh, Punjab Frontier Force doing Vegas and tragic comedy the jam number two Viveo, Evgaia, half fast blues from Bark out of Knoxville, along with uh, OMFU, old man fuck you, uh, Steve Gigante from uh, dear, dear hoof. The Chuck Berry delivers us from Evil Blues and finally, Joey McIntyre the, the the story the phone number, Punjab Frontier Force, uh, listeners, see. Taught for four years, and I haven't had a lot of, I mean, we hear about music teachers because a lot of, uh, you know, listening to J- Journeys Through Music, but he can actually uh, give us some insight. He, he did it for four years.
1: How, how did you get into it? Just so, something to pay the rent? I actually, I, I had a great teacher when I was a kid uh-huh. who um I think really inspired me as uh, just, just to, the way... Just through his playing and through his attitude and everything, and um, I wanted to give it over. I was I was really into it and um, I really enjoyed it. But it, it was also a way to pay the rent. I mean, it didn't pay great, and it was a little tough as a job because you couldn't gig and tour because you had to be around to teach every week. But right. um, but it was great. You know, I had I had a method that was. Sp- it's the at least for the early early things were stuff that I borrowed from my first teacher and then it was I had my own sort of method about teaching you know basic harmony teaching the modes but also te- I had a teacher in college a guy, a guy named Bob Moses who um who plays on he's on Pat Metheny's first album with Jaco Pastorius he's the drummer on that whoa and, and he was a revolutionary thinker in terms of he's still alive actually he's an unbelievable thinker in terms of uh, how to see rhythm. And to hear rhythm the same way you hear it, like just like you know what a major seven sounds like or a minor third sounds like, you should know what the and of four sounds like in the second measure. And you should be able to establish a sense of groove like that. So um, I wanted to transfer, I wanted to, I, and I found that mastering, not mastering, but learning rhythm and approaching it that way yeah. not only transformed my playing in terms of being able to hear groove and play groove, but actually made my chops better just because I wasn't fighting the time anymore. I was able to, to feel the time and, and, and live with the time. And um, I wanted to give that over to my students as well. So I had a, a lot of um, techniques and things that I had developed that were, you know, tools like that, that we could sit and we could play for half an hour and talk about it and, uh, and get into the music that way. Amazing.
0: Were you doing things like 5, 7, 11, <laughs> shit like that? Yeah,
1: you- no, all 4-4. Four, four. All just groove candles. Okay, groove- okay,
0: okay. Because, yeah. you know, with young people today,
1: they like these trippy times, yeah, I like them too. And I find that as I've gotten older, and especially I've gotten into more, as I got embraced, less young. By less, my less young. More, less young. Um, I, I, I find that I play a lot of these odd meters just without it. I don't realize it's an odd meter until I try figuring it out and showing it to somebody. Okay. Um I think it's because they're, they're in the air. But I, I hear everything as if it's in four. I think I'm playing in four.
0: Yeah, because, you know, I, there's some 6-8, 3-4 with John Coltrane. But, but you know. <laughs> I guess there's different ways to get kind of outside, you know. I think you get yeah, it totally. with, with the uh, uh, harmonics. Stuff like that rather than the, the time thing. But it is interesting, man, but it is hard to develop especially you, you get used to something. I, I, I want to play uh, uh, we got <laughs> a couple more pu- Punjab Frontier for us, So let's play this. <laughs>
3: My
1: Even though it's very simple, but uh, to actually hear it and to be able to play it is a is a very different thing than intellectually knowing what it is. It was the Jim Brown, was it Clyde Stubblefield stuff? It was probably both Clyde and um, Jamal uh, and Jabba Starks. Yeah, yeah, but both of them together.
0: You know, not to hear the stuff flam, they had to play so fucking tight. Well, Jim Brown was a drummer himself, you know. Yeah, totally, and. Uh, Man, yeah, must probably sweat and bullets working for that. <laughs> we heard po- <laughs> a political reality Punjab Frontier Force. New Amsterdam is old. Geez. Rise and Shine, Senor Al. Chinese Herbal Medicine with States. Bradford Reed, What's Good for the Goose is Good. And Henry Kaiser, this is the fifth part of his uh, When Your Work Speaks for Itself. I just interviewed him. He's great. He's great, man. And, you know, <laughs> did he tell you about his. Antarctica adventures? A
1: little bit. We spoke mostly about his Madagascar adventures, okay. actually. Okay, well,
0: he helped Werner Herzog with some music for a movie about down there.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Obsessive Compulsion, finally. Punjab uh, Frontier. The way I know you from writing. How did you get into writing? Was
1: there a connect from the teacher? No, you just did the teacher. No, I, I end up, when I went to, when I went trap backpacking, I ended up in Israel for, for seven years. And yeah. then... Uh, I moved back to the States to work in Jewish education, and I was keeping my chops up and playing, but I wasn't uh, recording or doing anything musical. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I was, I was, through my job, I started writing and, uh, and, and, you know, writing articles and essays and things for my, for, for, for what I was doing. Right. And, um, I, but I, I kept reading magazines. And so, um, one day I wrote a letter to the editor to Premier Guitar. And after I sent in the letter to the editor, I was like, I should write for them. <laughs> and so I called them up and they hooked me up with the managing editor named Tessa Jeffers. And um, she was great. They took a chance on me and let me um, they let me try something. I wrote uh, an article about Emily Remler, the great jazz guitar player from I don't know if you know, she passed away in the yeah, 80s. Yeah. And, um, and that was it. That was that got me. It was funny because I I had taught myself how to write um because I was writing articles and I was, I was doing a lot of speaking engagements in Jewish education. So I was, uh, writing, you know, just to accompany what, what I was doing. And so I learned a lot of the rules, how to write, but I didn't know anything about interviews, about, you know, proper format, about, you know, all that stuff. And I learned it, but I, and I didn't know how to pitch. I didn't know anything, but, uh, through working at premier guitar, it, it opened up a whole world, well, um, about, about journalism and it exposed me to just, you know, music that I never would have found otherwise.
0: Earlier, you mentioned something about uh, being affected by reading guitar player magazine.
1: Yeah. Do you think there was a connect maybe? I mean, it was many years apart. I know. Yeah, definitely a connect. I was, a, when I was a kid, I, for some reason, I, I, I read the, the magazines cover to cover yeah. and I knew all the, um all the authors like Tom Wheeler and jazz Osbrecht. Like I just knew who they were. And so, you know, 25 years later, when with the internet, I started searching these people and, um, you know, going to their websites and learning a bit about really who they were and, and a bit more. So I was always I was in I was into guitar guitar type journalism and guitar magazines, and that's how um that was definitely I think the impetus to start writing for them.
0: Yeah, but yeah. you know, also coming from being a player, you know, I think it's d- different than just pure journalists. Sure. I think so, because, yeah. you
1: know, I, I, know, I, know what, uh, I know what you're talking about, you know? That's When right. you get to some of those amorphous, hard-to-define things. I, had, I did an interview recently, it hasn't been published yet, with um, this great jazz guitar player named Wolfgang Wolfspiel. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, we were able to discuss, like, how do you play in a jazz band when both the guitar player and the pianist are comping, and how do you play behind the horn and not step on each other? Like, if you're not a musician, you're not going to know that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or at least not relate. You know, uh, that makes me think. Uh, somebody younger, like the, m- maybe some of your students or something. Do you think this li- a life of music you've had, c- you could impart some advice?
1: Advice about what? About listen with about music. just life advice with, with music? Music, yeah uh i think the best give thing, it a little focus <laughs> yeah right yeah. i think you with music yeah. you shouldn't uh do not become closed you need to be don't become an old person and get stuck in the music of when you were 20 years old you should constantly be look there's there, we're in a golden age right now yeah. and some of the music happening now is the best music that's ever happened and yeah. that could always be true yeah and we need to be focused and listening and through focusing and listening you're going to meet new people You need to expose yourself to new cultures and new ideas and new ways of thinking that will broaden your horizons and help you really accept a lot of other people and be part of the human experience and embrace the human experience.
0: So music could be a hatch, a door, but you got to be able to keep that hatch open. And you have to be willing to walk through it. Yeah. And walk through it. Yeah. Because nostalgia and sentimentalism, I think that's what you mean by liking your 20 year old music. And yeah, not, and it's
1: great. The music when you're 20 was great, but yeah. it's,
0: it, you need to move on. Yeah, because you're not giving anything
1: else a chance,
0: right? You're not... Uh, right. Right. And other right.
1: cultures, you know, there's music from all of people who you don't understand or don't relate to, yeah. you can start understanding and relating to them through their music.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a, a link, right, between us yeah. all. Even though, yeah, all these different backgrounds. And so <clears throat> maybe not such a hatch, but maybe a bridge.
1: Yeah, music is a universal language. It's the only language that we can speak even if we don't speak the same language. We speak the same language when we're speaking music. And you could be in a band with a dude who doesn't speak your language and still communicate with that person and have a very deep and meaningful connection to each other through the music. Absolute.
0: That's uh, that's great stuff. It's been such an honor to have you
1: on the show. Uh, My honor. I pledge I love speaking with you. And
0: your uh, website
1: My last name gluckin.com, g l u c k i n.com. Okay. That's and wonderful. I've got a, uh, an interview series, Plus One Me, which is on Substack. And I'm going to be launching one in a few weeks called The In-Gathering, also on Substack.
0: So, people out there, please check that out, man, because uh, I've learned much from this man. Beautiful. Thanks so much. People, it's been May 25, 2020 Dishowat for Pedro Show. Keep your powder dry.